Hey guys, uh, this is for political systems for the final exam, uh, the review. The review was 56 questions. I'm going to go through all of those. Um, so you can pause and answer if you need to. Remember, uh, making this as extra credit. So if you get the, uh, the answers done and turn it in on Wednesday, uh, then you can get a few points of extra credit. All right. Uh, so the first section of the final exam review was on foundations and principles of American government. First question said, what did John Locke say about government? Uh, just you need to know that he uh, believed that the government actually existed to serve the people. So we, as the people, as constituents, as the voters, whatever you want to call it, um, the government is supposed to do what's best for us. Second question was, what is social contract theory? Uh, basically, the social contract is an idea from John Locke and Thomas Hobbes that we could rule ourselves as individuals and as people. Okay, uh, We have that ability, but we give up that right and we allow the government to make rules that we're going to follow. And in turn, the government agrees to, to rule us to the best of our ability. It's all about what the first question said, where the, the government exists to take care of us, that's part of the social contract. Okay. Uh, number three, what is totalitarian government? Uh, it's usually ruled by a dictator. Uh, people have no freedom. Okay. The government makes all decisions. So the government does kind of whatever they want to. What is a federalist system of government? Uh, power divided between levels of government. So for us here in America, we have the federal government up in Washington, D.C., who make rules and regulations. But for us here in Georgia and other states, we also have rules that we have to follow that the state makes. Okay, and we can go even further down if we wanted to, uh, to the local level here in the county, our cities. Uh, but for us, we just need to concentrate on the fact that the national government has power over us, and so does the states. What form of government does the U.S. have? Uh, republic, Republican democracy, something along those lines. Um, would be what you're looking at. Okay. Uh, we don't have a complete democracy. So don't get confused. Listen to the pledge next time you're, you're listening to it. If you never pay attention to it again, um, and who we pledge allegiance to the Republic, not to the democracy. Uh, and then the last question from the first section, what is the difference between parliamentary and presidential systems? Okay. Uh, the main difference is how the, uh, well, I shouldn't say the main difference, but one of the big differences is how we pick our leadership. Okay. So in the presidential system, like we have in America, uh, the president is picked by the electorate. So me and you, we get to go vote. All right. And pick our president in the parliamentary system. Uh, the parliament is going to pick the prime minister. Okay. So the people don't really get to vote for the prime minister. It's going to be, um, the people who have been elected by them in the parliament. All right. The second section was on Constitution, the Constitution, and that's questions seven through 19. So if you're following along uh, and I'll start referencing the, the number. So seven through 19. Uh, so question seven was what was the first form of government in the U.S. before the Constitution? Articles of Confederation. And I think that's all you got to know. OK, uh, if you can just remember the articles was the first government. It was weak. It was bad. It did get replaced, but uh, I don't think we, I don't think the test goes into that. Number eight, why were the Federalist Papers written? Uh, well, to support the Constitution. Okay, they were written by Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and uh, um, the last name's escaping right now. That's bad. Uh, but anyways, they were written. You don't have to know the names uh, to support the Constitution because the Anti-Federalists were against the Constitution. So the Federalist Papers are going to support the big giant federal government, the central government. Uh, whereas the Anti-Federalists are going to be against that whole concept. Number nine, what did the Anti-Federalists demand to be added to the Constitution? Uh, they wanted a Bill of Rights. 
Okay, remember that's our civil liberties. Uh, those things were not listed in the Constitution anywhere. And the anti-federalist said, "Hey, that's that's not good. These things need to be listed somewhere." And I think it's a good thing because, uh, you know, our government might take away our some of these freedoms if they weren't listed. Um, number ten: What is the necessary and proper clause? Uh, that C allows Congress to carry out all laws, okay, uh, within their expressed powers. So, you know, it says very generally they're allowed to coin money. Well, the, the necessary and proper clause allows them to go a little bit further and make different denominations and things like that, okay? So all the necessary and proper clause is it allows the Congress to carry out all the laws that are necessary to um to carry out their expressed powers. What are the number eleven? What are the first ten amendments called? That's the Bill of Rights. Number twelve. What five things does the First Amendment protect? So people get tripped up by this all the time. Uh, the First Amendment covers the freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and this is where people get mixed up here. It also covers the freedom to assemble and the freedom to petition. Okay, so speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition. Um, Everybody gets usually the first three, although people get tripped up and think that speech is by itself or religion is by itself. It's all part of the First Amendment. But people forget about assembly. As long as it's peaceful, you're allowed to assemble as much as you'd like to. And the petition. Okay, uh, there's a petition going around now. Want HBO to redo uh, season eight here of Game of Thrones. They're allowed to do that if they want to. Okay. Number of 13. What does the Fifth Amendment guarantee? The main thing to remember here is kind of the overarching theme, which is due process. Okay. If you're arrested, you have certain rights. You're going to get to get a lawyer. You're going to get to, to you know, see a judge and all those sorts of things. Due process is guaranteed to you through the fifth amendment. It also some specifics no testifying against yourself. This is where I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. Um, no double jeopardy. Uh, something that's randomly thrown in there is imminent domain. That's where the government can take away your property. The government is allowed to, but they have to compensate you for it. Number 14, what does the Sixth Amendment provide for? Uh, that's a speedy and public trial with a jury. So if you get arrested, you're not going to be taken to some black site and never heard from again. You're going to get a public trial. You're going to get a jury of your peers, okay, and you're going to get it within a, a decent time frame. And then 15, what does the Eighth Amendment forbid? Cruel and unusual punishment. And this is always the death penalty stuff. Okay. Number 16, how are changes made to the Constitution call? That's a badly worded question. Uh, the, the gist of it is how are amendments? They're called amendments. Okay. So when we change the Constitution, it is an amendment. Uh, how does an amendment get approved to be added to the Constitution? Uh, there's two ways that it can be submitted. Congress, so up in D.C., the congressmen that are there can create an amendment and it can be approved by Congress. Okay. There's one that was submitted by uh, Senator Ted Cruz to create term limits back in January, if Congress, the House and the Senate had approved that, it would have went on. Okay. The other way that a one can be created is if we did a national convention. So if we were to say, hey, let's create a, a constitutional amendment and we were to get delegates from all the states together and they were to vote on a amendment, they can do that too. We don't do that because we already have something in place. We have our Congress in place already. Uh, from there, it goes to the states, okay? The state legislatures, so down in Atlanta, uh, the Georgia House and Senate would get the amendment if it was approved by Congress up in D.C., and it would go to <clears throat> the state. So Atlanta, 
uh, in Florida, Tallahassee, and Alabama, I think it's Birmingham, to their state legislatures, and they would have to approve it. You have to get three-fourths or 38 of the states to approve a piece of uh, an amendment, okay? Uh, It can also be state conventions, but once again, we don't do this because we already got the state legislatures in place. We don't need to do anything extra. Um, So Congress creates it, votes on it. It then goes to the states to be approved. They have seven years to ratify those things, okay? And they need 38 of the 50 states to approve an amendment. The president can't do anything to it, and the Supreme Court can't do anything to it. So it's all legislative. Uh, 18, pretty simple one. What are the three branches of government? You got the executive, you've got legislative, and you've got judicial. Number 19, what does it mean to say our government has checks and balances? Uh, those are kind of watches over the, the branches. Okay, so the, the legislative branch has some checks and balances over the president to keep them in check. So the president appoints someone to the Supreme Court, the Senate gets to approve that. That's a check and balance. Congress passes a law. The president gets to sign it or veto it. That's a check and balance. Okay, so it's just the things that each branch can do to the others to kind of keep them in check. All right. The next section, 20 through 31, is the legislative branch. The first question says, number 20, what does a bicameral legislature have? Well, two houses. And we have the House of Representatives and we have the Senate. Uh, The House is based on population. The Senate is equality. 21, what are the formal requirements to be a representative? You have to be 25 years old. You have to have been a citizen for seven years. And you have to be a resident of the state. Okay, you don't have to be in your district. You just have to be in the state, although it's helpful to be in your district. Okay, so that's for the House. I think there's a specific question on the test that says what are the which of the following is not a qualification. So know those qualifications. Uh, 22, how many members are there in the House of Representatives? There's four and 35. That number does not change. 23, who is the presiding officer of the House of Representatives? That's the Speaker of the House. 24, what are the formal requirements to be a senator? You got to be 30. You have to be nine years a citizen. You don't have to be natural born, just nine years a citizen, and you have to live in the state. That's it. Okay. Uh, I think there's a specific question about the Senate and their requirements. So be sure you know those requirements and don't get them mixed up. Number 25, who is the president of the Senate? That is the vice president. Remember, he's never there. This is why I want to be vice president one day, because you don't do your one constitutional uh, responsibility. You have to be, you're supposed to preside over the Senate, but you're never there. Instead, they have the president pro tempore of the Senate. So the vice president is technically in charge of the Senate. The only time he shows up, though, is if there's a tie. So 50-50. The, pre- the vice president will show up to, to break the tie. Number 26, what is the name of the people who assist the majority of minority leaders in Congress? That is the whips. Okay. And that's all you got to know is the whips. They're the ones who are going to be doing the run around talking to congressmen. 27, where does most of the work of Congress get done? Uh, it is not the floor of the House or the Senate. It is the committees. Okay. So the answer you're looking for is the committees. Every piece of legislation that gets sent to Congress, the House or the Senate, it's going to go to a standing committee. And from there, that's where they're going to make changes to it, work on it. Uh, we did a project on this. You had to create a game board for this stuff. Okay. Uh, 28, what is a filibuster? Uh, this is a tactic only the Senate has. Okay. So only the Senate has. And this is where you talk a bill to death. Now, what does that mean to talk a bill to death? Uh, you don't actually kill a bill by talking to death, but you're trying to basically stifle, stop the legislative process. So you know, Congress doesn't just have two bills or three bills they're working on per, per session. They have multiple in the hundreds 
of bills they're working on. And if you sit there and you talk this bill and talk about it and talk about it for three, four or five days, however long you can go for your filibuster, that's delaying action on other bills. So you're holding up the process. That's the goal of a filibuster. Now, how can you stop one? Well, 29, what is cloture? That's the way to end a filibuster. It is a vote. Okay, so if I'm up here talking, 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 and someone's like, this guy's got to shut up. You can make a cloture motion where, hey, I vote or I make a motion that we end this debate and we vote on the issue. If you got 60 people that agree with you and are ready to end the debate, if you got the number 60, the debate stops. My filibuster is over and we're going to go to a vote on the issue. Okay, so filibuster is the endless debate. Cloture is the way to stop it. This is why it's important to have that number 60 or three-fifths of the Senate. Number 30, what is the final step in turning in a bill into a law? Uh, the president has to sign it. Okay. He also has the option to, to veto it, but the question says uh, turning a bill into a law. The president has to sign off on it. Now, they can't. Congress can't override the veto. That's another check and balance. Uh, 31, what is the difference between enumerated and implied powers of Congress? Um, enumerated or expressed are those written specifically in the Constitution. Some examples are they can declare war, they can tax us, unfortunately, they can coin money. Okay, all those things are expressly written into the Constitution in Article 1. Uh, the implied powers are those that are kind of assumed. Okay, um, so um, they can do kind of what they want to here. The second or the last next section is the executive branch. And there, these are questions 32 through 39. 32 says, what are the formal qualifications to be president? You got to be 35. You got to be a natural born citizen. And you have to have lived in country for 14 years. That's it. So I'm eligible to be president. Uh, you'll, some of you'll be eligible when you're 35. Um, that's it. Okay. 33 says, how can a presidential veto be overridden? Uh, you have to have both houses of Congress uh, vote, and it needs to be a two-thirds vote. So it's a big number. Uh, when the president is unpopular, uh, you get some vetoes unwritten, uh, overridden. When the president is highly popular, then they tend to not override vetoes. Okay. But the number you need to know is two-thirds, and it has to be both both sides. So 435 plus 535 plus 100 is 535. Number 34, what is the name of the report the president has to give to Congress once a year? That is the State of the Union. Uh, all it really calls for is a written report. And so the president could just submit something to Congress. We make a big deal about the State of the Union nowadays, where he's giving a speech in Congress and all that kind of stuff. It used to be just, hey, the president writes this thing up and he sends it to Congress. Maybe it gets published in the newspapers. Uh, but now it's a big TV event. 35, who helped advise the president? That is the cabinet. There's 15 of those positions, uh, and they are going to help the president. Some of them are more important than others, but all you got to know is the cabinet. 36, what does it mean that the president is the commander in chief? He's in charge of the military. 37, the 25th Amendment, uh, <clears throat> that is the line of succession. So what happens if the president resigns, gets kicked out, dies? Is incapacitated, what happens? Okay. And we got the vice president taken over, then the speaker of the house, then, the, then it gets into the Senate, then, then it gets into the cabinet positions, the one through 15. Uh, 38, who are the two people in order who would be next in line for the presidency? Vice president would be the next up. 
and then be the Speaker of the House. Okay. Now, the question came up, what would happen if uh, you have a 25-year-old Speaker of the House? Because to be a member of the House of Reps, you only have to be 25. Okay, Chances are a 25-year-old is probably not going to be the Speaker of the House. But if it happened, uh, then he would be bypassed. It would go to the next eligible person because you got to meet the requirements of 35, uh, 35 years old, citizen, and 14 years old, or 14 years in country. Uh, 39, what is the name for the many people and organizations of government that work in the executive branch? That is the bureaucracy. Okay, they're the ones that actually carry out the laws uh, and help the president out with the job. So if you uh, are a big business and you're caught polluting, the president is not going to be the one to show up to your door to write you a ticket or to fine you or whatever it is they do. It'd be the EPA. That's a bureaucratic agency. Okay, um, when we are investigating federal murders or something like that, it's not the president leading that investigation. It is the FBI. That's the bureaucracy. All right, the next section is the judicial branch, and it is questions 40 through 54, okay? Uh, so we wrap this into, we did the civil liberty, civil rights, and the judicial branch. There's going to be some things that kind of overlap here. <clears throat> 40, who has to confirm presidential appointments to the Supreme Court? That is the Senate. 41, what is a majority opinion? Uh, this is the winning side. So if it's five to four, remember the Supreme Court, there's nine judges and they vote, okay, kind of in a group. Uh, and you have to have five judges say we we think this way and that wins. OK, whichever side wins, that's the majority opinion. They're going to write up their majority opinion. This is why we voted this way. This is what we saw in the Constitution. And that kind of becomes the driving force and how things are going to be enforced. So the same sex marriage case that was decided back in 2014, Obergefell versus Hodges. <clears throat> the decision was made. Hey, same sex marriage is legal. OK. Uh, and so they wrote up the majority opinion and that's what the states were supposed to base their uh, now. Now, marriage laws based on was that decision. So that's what majority opinion. is. Um, Forty two. Most cases get to the Supreme Court through what type of jurisdiction? That is appellate. So through appeals, they do have original, but only about two percent of the cases go through them for the first time. There are very few cases state to state or foreign dignitaries. So most of the stuff they hear is going to be based on appeals. 43, what did Marbury versus Madison establish? That's judicial review. Okay. 44, what did McCullough versus Maryland justify? Uh, federal supremacy. States were trying to tax some federal institutions. You can't do that, states. The federal government and the federal institutions are supreme over you. 45, what did Brown versus Board of Education decide? Uh, it decided that separate but equal was not constitutional. Okay. So it it used the 14th Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to say that separate schools, separate facilities are not legal. So this is the, the case that decided uh, and ended segregation in public schools. 46, what now has to happen because of the Miranda versus Arizona decision? You're going to get your rights read to you if you're arrested. Okay, don't get arrested. But if you are, they're going to read your rights to you. You have the right to remain silent and all those things. Okay, this comes from Miranda versus Arizona. Miranda was arrested for rape. He confessed because the cops were questioning him. He didn't know he didn't have to talk to the police. And that's what he made his appeal. on. Now, he got a second trial. He was still found guilty. Uh, 47, what did Gideon versus Wainwright establish? The fact that you're going to get a lawyer. Uh, prior to this case, you only got a lawyer if you had a, committed a felony. Uh, Gideon broke into a pool hall or something, uh, which was a misdemeanor. And uh, he <clears throat> asked for a lawyer, wasn't given one because he couldn't afford one on his own. He was convicted. He appealed based on the fact that, hey, uh, I needed a lawyer. 
48, what's New Jersey versus TLO established? Uh, that's that your possessions here at school can be searched. So if you get in trouble here at school, uh, the administration can go through your bags. And it comes from TLO versus New Jersey. A uh, 14-year-old girl was caught smoking in the bathroom. They took her to the administrator's office. They searched her bag. They found drugs. She was arrested. She said unlawful search and seizure. But the Supreme Court said schools can do that. So don't get in trouble at school. And if you do, uh, people can search your stuff. Number 49, what is due process? This is just uh, the stuff that happens when you uh, get arrested. Okay, you have rights when you're arrested. You don't get to get just thrown in a, a, a jail cell and forgot about. You're going to get to see a judge. You're going to get a lawyer. You're going to get a speedy trial. You're going to get to have a jury of your peers, all those sorts of things. Okay, that's what due process is. 50, what is the 19th Amendment? Women get the right to vote. 51, the 26th Amendment. 18-year-olds get the right to vote. So it was 21. They dropped it to 18 with the 26th Amendment. 52, what type of court would you be in when one citizen sues another citizen? That is civil. That is one citizen suing another for some money or some kind of compensation. That is civil. Now, the other type is criminal. So that's when the government is trying to punish you. 53, what can a person in criminal court do if they disagree with their guilty verdict? They do have the ability to appeal. It does have to be based on some legit uh, constitutional reason or something along those lines. It can't be, I lost, I want to appeal. And 54, what is the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? Uh, the felony is the more serious of the crimes. I think on the test, you're going to have to pick out some of the, the serious felony crimes. And then what's a misdemeanor? Okay. Uh, a felony is going to be murder, kidnapping, bank robbery, things like that. A misdemeanor would be something like, uh, you know, uh, running a stop sign or driving without a license or something like that. The last section was the shortest one, political participation. It's 55 and 56. 55, what is a political action committee? That is just um, a money raising group, basically. Okay, there are there are limitations put on people for raising money. So they found a way around it by creating a PAC, political action committee. So I am limited to $2,000 that I can donate to a candidate. But I have more money than that. I don't really. But uh, let's say I did. And I want to donate more money so I can give it to this group over here, the political action committee. Then they can spend money. OK, now uh, political action committees then got regulated. They can only donate a certain amount to candidates, but they can spend their money as much as they want to on, on uh, campaign stuff. So if they want to uh, run commercials, if they want to donate money to the parties uh, and things like that, they can do that. OK, but all you got to know and remember about political action committees, it's a way to raise money, basically. Okay, for individuals uh, and interest groups. And then lastly, 56, what are lobbyists? Uh, those are people that are hired by interest groups to try and sway congressmen. So uh, the World Wildlife Fund, Sierra Club, all these environmental groups, there's a piece of legislation out there that's going to be harmful to the environment. They will um, hire lobbyists possibly to go talk to congressmen who will try and convince them, hey, this is a bad law. You need to defeat it. You need to make changes to it, whatever it might be. So lobbyists try and sway congressmen. They can do other things. But I think for the test, if you understand, they try and convince congressmen. They try and sway congressmen. You should be good. OK, our test is on Wednesday, bright and early, 710. It's only 50 questions, so it will not take you a whole period. Uh, but we'll be in here for the whole time. Uh, so, um, good luck on all your other exams. Hopefully you spend a little bit of time with us. This thing's going to be end up being 24 minutes. So that's not long. You can pop your headphones in, 
and listen to this review. And I think if you do that, then you should be in good shape for the test. Okay. Uh, once again, good luck on the rest of your exams. I've enjoyed having you this semester. Uh, best of luck in everything you do. If I can ever help you out, let me know. All right. Bye-bye.